Neil O'Donoghue on whom shoulders it looks like the pressure will ultimately fall is from Ireland. He went to school in Auburn. He's been in the NFL eight years. He came up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If the Cardinals had to try the field goal from here, it would be from 55 yards out. They'd certainly like to have O'Donoghue a little bit closer. They're going to have to hurry. 13 seconds on the clock. They're going to have to hurry. Eight seconds. They have too many men on the field. Six seconds. This is the story of Corny, the last Irishman in the NFL. Brought to you by Go Loud. Episode 1 First Quarter The Scholarship. My name is Tommy Kill. I'm from Round Tower GA Club, Clondalkin. I'm a past president of the club. I've been with the club since I was a, a very young boy. Played football for them and been on the committee for many years as well. In the late 50s, Clondalkin was a very rural village. And in the late 50s, the building boom started in Clondalkin. The um, club was in a, a very bad state at that time, the Round Tower GA Club. And as it happened, a secondary school was opened in Clondalkin for the first time. That was the Mars Brothers came to Clondalkin in 1958 and they established a college called Mile Park College. A committee was set up to fundraise to run a senior football tournament. It was felt that uh, a tournament would attract a good attendance. So to help with that tournament, we decided to run a juvenile football tournament as a warm-up act to the senior game. And we invited the young boys of Clondalkin to sign up for this uh, tournament. Most of them had never played football before, in fact. I think none of them had, <laughs> to be quite honest. But that was a very uh, a very good tournament, and it was uh, the start of the uh, juvenile section in Clondalkin. Corny Donoghue, who was only eight years of age, began to play for the juvenile under-13 team as early as 1960. He was an outstanding player. Even at eight years of age, he stood out in the crowd. I'm Bernie Cronin. I played with Towers until I was nearly 40. Played with Neil or Corny, as we know him in Clondalkin, we had an average enough team until um, the two Donahues, Carney and his brother Coleman. A lot of people kind of overlook Coleman, but in his own right, he was a very good footballer. Carney loved playing football because uh, of the physicality of it. Um, he was a magnificent footballer in his own right, very skillful, great dead ball kicker, but he, he loved the hard knocks and um, he thrived on it. He, a marvellous footballer and a great family, his dad and mum as well, I remember them well. Lovely people.
grew up there in the 50s. I lived in a kind of a new neighborhood, which was Newlands Park. And everybody basically came in at the same time, you know, so they're coming from all over the country. So it was a great mix of, you know, people from Galway, people from Kerry, people from every part of the country. So we all grew up together. Everybody was into sports. We didn't have all the video games and all that. So it was, you had to make your own fun. So we all went to the same schools. It was a good upbringing, you know, it was very healthy. <laughs> Towers was the main hub for me. The Towers Hall was right across the street from the school I went to. My dad was into the GA Towers and all that. So all the parents were involved, you know, so it was a great, very healthy upbringing. Dad's kind of career was really through the 30s. He's a lot older. He was a lot older than my mom. And he was coaching a team called Bohemians. Mom was a nurse in Derby Street Hospital, where the shopping centre is now. And he was coaching a good book, women's hockey team. And they met. There was nothing sort of romantic at the time, but they knew each other. You know, he was an older man and she was trainee nurse at the time. And then mom, when mom qualified, she, uh, her brother had gone over to work in the Bank of England. And he wrote to her and said, look, they need nurses. There's going to be a war. And she went over and joined the um, Queen Alexander's, which is a front line. So they deal with the casualties. So it's really tough situation, but they're military nurses. She didn't have to sign up for that. That was a phenomenal thing about mom's determination was that she had that kind of the real grit about her, you know. Anyway, she went off to the war and did all the way through France and was crossing the Mediterranean, got torpedoed, was put in the water for something like seven or eight hours, got rescued, got washed up in, like again, through the boat in North Africa went through, you said, oh, there you are, grand, you know. So you're on this station over here, you know. So she went through the whole of the North African campaign, then crossed back into the south of Italy. Meanwhile, her brother, who wasn't married, had said the first time somebody in the bank, the married man gets drafted, I'm going to sign up. You know, as an Irishman, he didn't have to do that. So he was coming down from the north of Italy and she was coming up from the south and they said, you know what, this is, it's 44 and let's meet in Rome when the war is over. And, you know, they hadn't seen each other for like three or four years. And uh, he literally died two weeks before they were due to meet. I'm named after him. So that's who I'm named after. So she decides to go to Cuba, nursing. She gets a letter from home saying, your father's dying and you need to come home. So she comes home. This is 47, I think. And she meets my dad again by coincidence. So this time something clicked. And uh, so that was for, they met in 48 and I'm born 51. So they married in 50. And that's when we moved, or they moved to, they bought this new house in Clondalkin. 
And so this whole group moved in. I think that was one of the extra phenomenons from Neil's point of view. Because I often think about this, what, you know, what, how did this kind of all come together? So there's two things. One, I think, was mom and dad were great and, they, you know, they had his calm coaching skill. He wasn't a sh- shouty father. A couple of little pointers, mom, 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 this is it. And uh, they got on great. And Neil understood that. They spoke the same language, you know. He he was uh, totally into sports, you know. I mean, the newspapers. You know, I, I'd be grabbing the the back page, seeing what's going on every day. Um, but he knew, you know, he knew everybody. Everybody knew him. He was for his, you know, I'm I'm six six, but he was six three. But back then, that was tall, you know. Um, just just uh, gave me the love of the game, you know. He says, uh, one of his raised expressions, he says, no matter how good you are, just act like you've been there before, you know? <laughs> I remember the first game at Towers. It was the old Towers Park. And I was down watching the game, actually had a pair of Welliers on me, you know, Wellingtons. And they were short of men. So it was the under-13s, and I think I was eight years old. They threw me in to be the extra man, you know? So that was, that was my baptism to, to Round Towers actually playing, and, uh, ever since being eight, but I have a great passion for it, for the team, some great people down there. Remember waking up in the night I remember going for a pee and at home and talking. I was about seven or eight and seeing the light under my parents' door. And I thought, oh, it's be very late, like it's four o'clock in the morning. And I could hear noise of voices on a radio. So I opened the door and as my father sitting in bed with the transistor, listening to ball by ball commentary from the ashes in Australia. He would talk about that game the next day. It probably wouldn't even be in the papers. But it had that kind of hybrid sort of interest across all sports, you know. It was none of this, you know, get out and do, just be great at soccer or be great at Gaelic mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember listening on the, um, you know, the, the transistor on a Saturday with the uh, Division One games, you know, where they have the results, you know, Manchester United versus... You know, we'd be sitting around the fire listening to the results, you know, because you didn't have a TV or nothing. There was, wasn't a TV in our street till, gosh, I was maybe 14, 15, you know. I think there was a couple of telephones, you know, someone wanted to get a hold of you, you know, the neighbor across the street would get the phone call, you, you got a call, you know. Now you got to have your, your cell phone, you're, you're lost without it. So it was just a different time. <laughs> You know, Rule 27 is the ban. You can't play foreign sports. When my father was playing, it was even worse. It was really hardcore, you know. It was so. My father was still playing hurling and playing for Ireland in hockey. So he was, you know, he was breaking all the rules. <laughs> so the great story around that is a small story, but one he's very proud of, um, which is that he, his club got a, a letter to say, you know, you're Mickey O'Donoghue broke Rule 27 and he used to turn up for a meeting in O'Connell Street uh, to explain himself. And so that's fine. Until my father had been playing for Ireland. And so then he turned out next week playing hurling for his local club and somebody objected. 
It could be a spectator in the crowd. It could be anybody saying, oh, Buffalo was playing hockey last week or wherever, soccer. Anyway, the great part of the story is that goes in and they call it, and there's a little cub reporter in the room and various people were coming in and answering, you know, were sent off or you know, they're going to get 10 weeks. Or, and then Mickey O'Donoghue up under Rule 27, they ask him to explain himself. My father was reared in Spittle in Connemara, Galway. And, of course, he was fluent Irish speaker, Gelgor. So he responded to the questioning in the so-called court in Irish. So they'd ask him a question in English to explain. He's, he'd explain and he'd say exactly what he was. Yes, I was a playing in hockey match for Ireland and, yeah, we won 2-1 and, yeah, I was there. And guilty. He said that all this in Irish. And, of course... As the cub reporter said, the three wise men didn't have any Irish. They were, they were trying him on playing foreign games or breaking, you know, national mores or, you know, whatever that term might be now. They said, no, you must speak English. And he said, no, I refuse to speak English. If you're going to try me, try me in Irish. Unfortunately, the, the little cub reporter in the room could and understood exactly the conversation and understood the responses. And of course, eventually, after about 20 minutes, they had to dismiss the case because they couldn't get a translator into the room, which was ridiculous, being tried under on Irish activities, so to speak, you know. So um, that's real. And that's, we have still got reports of that. He, you know, his sister kept these reports and uh, it's an amazing story. So it was dismissed and he went on to keep playing. And of course, they tried them again. They tried to have and never. He never was done anyway under Rule 27. But the incredible thing, like with Neil, as I said, follows on. And we're in the school in Clondalk, and it's quite a, you know, it's around Tars. It's just the old, their pitch used to be right beside where our school was. And Neil was probably our star player at the time in the school by a country mile. And we had got through to a cup final. And Neil had been playing soccer for Rangers in some cup final. And somebody had reported him under Rule 27 and the school decided to ban him so it was like taking down our best player you know before the final I was the captain of the team so I go down to the headmasters I'm begging for them to reconsider this because they said we have a chance of winning this match so they wouldn't relent and of course there was pleadings with dad at home with dad go down said no no that's the rules you have to if they decide you know but he was playing the long game and the morning we were going out he was told to bring his boots so he said, Dad, I might get a chance. He said, no, no, you're not. Don't bring your boots. If you're not, they're either telling you you're playing, if you're not playing, you can't bring your boots. So we go along, of course. Corny comes to the game. He's on the sideline and we're struggling. Halfway through the game, they're getting clobbered. So they want me to back in. I said, no, I'm not going back in. <laughs> Coach brother, there were Maris brothers running up and down, issuing orders. And he said to Corny, get your boots we're putting you on the second half and Corny looks down the line at my father and my father goes no is has he is he changing the rules and Corny goes are you changing the rules no we're still you're still banned but you're playing you know and he said my father says you're not playing stay on the line and of course they started we started the second half we went down another two points I think we were down about eight points at that point and gone in one direction and I'm shouting over please, you know, let him play, you know. And I was kind of getting distracted about it because, it, you know, I wasn't focusing on the match. 
at that point, they said, you're on. They called the guy ashore. He got take his boots off. And he was playing with boots that were like two sizes too small from the jersey that only came down because <laughs> he was a big lad. And so it was changed on the line. And my father says, that it, then you can go in and play. Neil comes in and scores one seven or something. We win by a point. Just, I mean, incredible. And talk about like father, like son, you know. Two years later, we had a soccer team in the school. The whole atmosphere in the school had changed. It's unbelievable. I have a report here dated the 2nd of July, 1965. Carney O'Donoghue. This young boy is far above his class and is really a brilliant footballer. His three goals was exactly the difference between two grand teams. He ran the field on his own and it was a great achievement. He was really at his best that time. He was a fabulous player. You know, I learned a lot, uh, actually. And on the day he passed away, I was playing for a team called Rangers. Uh, they played out in Bushy Park. Uh, actually, a couple of internationals uh, played on the year ahead of me. Uh, Don Givens. We're, we're on the feeder for two years. One of the top teams in, in soccer, Rangers. I was playing on one side of the city and Neil was playing the soccer match for Rangers on the other side of the city. We were having breakfast that Sunday morning and they just they said, well, which match will I go to today? This was a debate and I was saying, well, look, it's just, that's Neil's game is much more important, you know, got to go to that. So they went to it. We're in the finals and he was there uh, and actually we won 4-2, I think, I scored a hat-trick and we got the bus back to, I was actually Newlands. Uh, he got off the bus and uh, my mom was there too. And he, he sat down, there was no little store there. Can't even name it now, but he sat down. I said, oh, I feel tired. And I said, all right. So he said, we'd sit down for a while. And he can't, you know, we went uh, back to the house. It was about, you know, about a quarter of a mile. And I said, go on up. Well, I said, go on up, go on upstairs, go to bed and, and uh, lay down. I gave him the transistor to this, there was a game on there, some GA game. Mom said to him, go up and have a lie down and uh, I'll make you a bowl of soup. And Neil brought the soup up to him and they were going to talk about the game, obviously, and they were going to be analyse it. And as Neil walked in, he's having the heart attack. So, my God, it was it's just, that's a brutal, hard blow to take him. Walking up the stairs, and I knew he was gone before I got to the room. I mean, I knew he was gone. And I walked up there, and I said, Mom, you know, he was, he was dead, heart attack. But he died on the day I scored a hat-trick, and, uh, you know, I'm sure he was happy. I've always felt that it impacted on Neil. You know, it kind of was a big blow, and he was, I guess... Yeah, he's a year and a half younger than me, so it would have been harder. I was 16 or 17, Neil would have only been 14 or 15, you know, so 68. It's tough. Tough blow to take. Yeah, it was, it was difficult, but again, 
you know, it, it made some changes in the home. Uh, you didn't have the, you know, even though you worked for CIE for I don't know how long, 25 years, there was no no pension or nothing, maybe five five pounds a week or something, you know. So it, it, it caused my mother to go back to work. Being a nurse, she went up to Piedmont. You know where Piedmont is over there at the hospital? She'd be going there at probably 12 o'clock. And we'd come home. You know, the dinner would be made. We'd be on, be on the stove there. We'd have to warm her up. And she'd show up at uh, 9 o'clock exhausted every night. Just a great, great person. Mom was determined that education was the way forward. And I, for some reason, don't know why, but fortunately I just knew this is what I wanted to do. From about 10, 11, 12, I just wanted to be an architect and I didn't know really what it was or what that entailed but I knew I had to get X. so I was quite focused on achieving and I just about scraped in you know and got it so she got okay one over the line Neil is then coming along and he says there's no way he says I'm, I'm going to play for Celtic I'm going to play for United it's only a matter of time then I had gone on the J1 visa in 1972 work in New York. And then I got this job down in Alabama in an architect's office in Birmingham in Alabama. Now, Birmingham, Alabama in 1970 was amazing. I mean, it was just mind-blowing, you know, uh, in terms of you just after the busing issues and the, oh, you know, think it's bad now. It was brutal. It was only like two years after it, you know. So, I'm down there and I'm looking to do something weekends, play a bit of bowl. And um, so I found this local park and there was guys playing sort of equivalent soccer post. Well, it was great. I had a match here. Is there any chance of joining? Like, sure. So after a couple of games, you know, I was playing you know, every Saturday, I could hear you. The guy's saying, geez, you're great, you know. You'd, you'd get it, you know, you, why don't you come and get a scholarship here? And I said, there's five guys on my street that are better than me. <laughs> this is very average, you know. And they said, like who? Well, I said, well, my brother. And they go, what? Yeah, okay, yeah, your brother's good, yeah, okay. So one of the guys that was with us was actually had a minor role in one of the colleges, a small college called St. Bernard in Alabama. And he said, okay. Uh, at the end of the summer, I went back and I went back into college and I was living at home at the time, Clondalkin. And uh, my mother gets a phone call about a week before Christmas. And it's this guy on the phone. And I wasn't there in the house at the time. So when I come in, they said, oh, an American man was looking for you. He said he met you last summer. And he wants to talk to you. And I said, who is this? She, she mentioned this name. It didn't mean anything to me, you know. I was like, okay. She says, uh, what's this about? And I said, I don't know. And I was thinking, did I do something wrong or what's going on? So uh, eventually he rings back and I'm there. And he said, oh, do you remember me? It was like, you know. I said, oh, yeah, what's, what's happening? And he said, I wanted to talk to your brother. I said, well, he's not here. And I said, what do you want to talk to him about? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm here to offer him a scholarship. 
And I said, you're where? He said, I'm in Dublin. And if you want, you know, we'd like to come out and talk to your mom. I'm sort of saying, well, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, I'm getting a little excited by it, thinking, okay, he's going to really like this. And of course, my mother, it was like, it was this brilliant because he's going to get an education, he's going to go to college, and he's going to be happy because he's going to be playing ball. But Neil comes in, now this is before the guy arrives out, Neil comes in and says, I'm not going. I'm not going to America. I'm, I'm going to England, you know. And then this guy arrives in to offer. And of course, my mother was coffee and the cake. And yeah, it's great. You're going to look after Neil. You'll be good to him now. And of course, then he comes in. He says, I'm not having it. You know, I'm not interested. Um, so it was a fair bit of old tension. I said to him, Neil, just talk to him. You know, he's come a long way. Just talk to him. He said, no, I don't want to do it. And they said, this is amazing. He said, this has never happened before. Anyway, in the end, the guy had the bright idea. He said, look, I'll tell you what. We'll bring you out for the summer. If you like it, you can stay. If you don't like it, we'll pay for your ticket home. Back then, America was different than Ireland. Now you go to Ireland, it's... It's basically the same country. You can go to a store, buy anything you can buy in America. Back then, it was, you know, you travel, it was a big deal, you know. I was watching Georgie Best's story the other day, you know, on, on, on YouTube, and it's like, you know, he left. I think he came back the next day. You know, you get homesick. I always wanted to come to the States. I didn't want to come for 20 years. I thought I was going to come over here maybe for a year, go to school, do a little travel, come back, you know. So when I got there, I really liked it. Okay, are you ready? Go. Let's get the field goal key. All right, this, this time we'll work the fake quick pass right. Okay, fake kick, pass right. All right, okay. Next time on Corny, the last Irishman in the NFL. But the guys have been telling me, man, you should try this this kick, and he says you'd be you'd be good at it. People fell in love with the fact that he had such a powerful leg. You learn it's a different game. You know, you're playing for your life, you're playing for your money. OJ was decent to him. Featured probably like the rookie kid he was. The reality of a kicker's life is different. We didn't end up in the fight. We didn't end up in the brawl. No question about it, you know, because we were that competitive, you know. Corny is brought to you by Go Loud. Produced and edited by Lachlan Hart. With additional recordings by Michael McQuaid of Pro Football Ireland. Like, follow or subscribe to Corny on the Go Loud app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>